When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I am a Georgia Tech alum and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech alum and a Notre Dame fan. First question, Mike, we got a special guest on tonight. Can you tell us about him? Uh, he's the man because he came on our podcast, so we got we got that going, right? So anybody who agrees to come on the podcast, it's good with us. Um, we got Josh Parcell and... He's on the podcast from College Football Country. Josh, how's it going, man? Uh, good, good. I feel like I fit right in with you guys. I'm a Virginia Tech alum, Virginia Tech football fan, but UNC basketball fan, so I'm kind of fitting along the same lines as you guys. Oh, gosh, I didn't even realize we were bringing another Hokie onto the podcast. Yeah, man, come on. Hokies stick together, man. Totally outnumbered at this point. <laughs> um, Josh, yeah, so we just wanted to talk some general ACC football with you. Um, we're kind of working through some previews right now, but wanted to talk about the conference in a high level. Um, obviously, coming off a really good year uh, as, as, you know, had the national champions, had the Heisman winner, got the Orange Bowl. Uh, a lot of people would say that it was the best conference in the country. Um, we, but there was a lot of personnel, I guess, that was lost in the way of quarterbacks, in the way of offensive skill talent after last year. So, we got a lot of new players on the stage this year. So if, as you look at the ACC this year, who's someone that we're not talking about right now, but we're all going to know about and be talking about come the end of this season? Boy, that's a really good question. Uh, I'll try not to be biased and go with Cam Phillips because I think Cam Phillips is going to put up video game numbers in that offense. He's by far the number one option for Virginia Tech. But uh, look, DeAndre Francois is a legitimate Heisman candidate. And he's a guy last year who took a beating at Florida State uh, he, he was obviously highly touted coming out of high school and had all the accolades, but last season uh, ended up on his on his butt a little bit more than I think he wanted to. The offensive line didn't protect him. Florida State is absolutely loaded this season, and if Florida State makes a, a run towards an 11 or 12 win season and is in the college football playoff hunt, which I expect him to be, uh, DeAndre Francois is going to be in New York. I mean, he's, he's going to be the key to that team, and uh, I fully expect him to have a huge year. So we're looking for Florida State to bounce back, right? So they, you know, their rebuild has been what, like an eight or nine win season, and eight being the absolute floor. I mean, a nine win, ten win season turns into a rebuilding year for a team like Florida State when you got Jimbo Fisher recruiting like he does. But let's talk a little bit about Clemson for a couple minutes here, because Clemson obviously wins the national championship. They have all that offensive talent move on, but this defense is going to be really good with Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator. How big of a rebuild do you think this is for Clemson, and what's their floor, in your opinion? Because you look at the Tigers, they had everything going for them last year. They win the title. They beat Bama. Is there going to be a championship hangover? There's going to be a loss of experienced talent offense, but there's plenty of talent remaining. You know, on the off, there's some talent remaining on the offensive line. Um, you do have Deion Kane, Hunter Renfro coming back uh, from the receiving standpoint. 
How big of a rebuild is this for Clemson? And is Clemson going to be a team that can still compete in the Atlantic Division with a team like Florida State? Yeah, I don't think it's a rebuild at all, to be honest with you, Mike. I, I think that this team is as talented across the board as every other team in the country. Uh, obviously, the big question is quarterback. Is it going to be Kelly Bryant? Is it going to be Hunter Johnson, the true freshman? Zarek Cooper is still in the mix, but I, I honestly expect it to be either Bryant or Hunter Johnson. And Look, Clemson is is talented top to bottom. I've got an article going up on Wednesday talking about how I think Clemson is the next Alabama. I, I think this program is going to be the premier program in college football for the next five to ten years. I truly do. Uh, they've got everything in place from the staff to the facilities to the location to the personnel on the roster this season. Like you said, the biggest thing that they've got to try and avoid is that hangover. And I think while a lot of people are pointing to the quarterback position as the biggest question mark for Clemson, I think the biggest question mark for them is complacency because a lot of people are, are obviously not paying attention to them having come off two straight national championship game appearances. Last year, they had the loss to Alabama to motivate them throughout the year. They also had Deshaun Watson. This season, no Deshaun Watson. They don't have that chip on their shoulder because they've now they've won the championship. It's a totally different dynamic dealing with 19 and 20-year-old kids who get to spend seven months in the offseason hearing about how great they are, and yet they've got to still go out and match that production on the field without a guy like Deshaun. I think from a talent standpoint, Clemson is as good as anybody in the country. The question is, can they battle that complacency? And that's going to fall on the staff. And Dabo Swinney, Brett Venables on the defensive side, they've replaced guys in the past. Brett Venables has done a, a marvelous job on defense. They replaced more than seven starters each of the last two seasons going into these past two years and made the national championship game. They've got more talent coming back this year than they had in those two seasons. So the defense is going to be fine. If they can solve that quarterback and they can battle those complacency issues, Clemson is very much a contender for not only the ACC championship, but another college football playoff run. As good as that defense figures to be, like it, it almost doesn't matter what the offense does. Like th that team is going to be really good again. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy when you start talking about a worst case scenario of like nine wins. Um, yeah, yeah that, I think that's totally fair that they've they've made it, and that's like their you know they're they're the next Alabama in the in the country if they keep up doing what they're doing. Um, Josh, one of the one of the themes I think I saw in the off season this year is something that people aren't talking about at all is. I think that there were some really impactful assistants in the conference last year, and there were three that left their posts, and I, I'm really curious to your opinion of who was the biggest loss. Is it Pittsburgh losing Matt Canada as their OC? Is it uh, UNC losing Gene Chizik as their DC? Or is it Wake Forest losing Mike Elko as their defensive coordinator? Boy, I mean, when you, when you talk about losing Matt Canada for Pittsburgh, I just think that is such a big loss. You look at what he was able to do for that team – it's funny, when Pat Narduzzi came to Pittsburgh, he was supposed to be this defensive mastermind coming from Michigan State. Pittsburgh's defense hasn't been that great since he got there. They're scoring defense the last two seasons. They gave up 26 points in 2015, 35 a year ago. They scored 41 on the offensive side with Matt Canada, but that was by far the highest scoring team they've had in really over a decade. So what he was able to do with Nathan Peterman, he obviously had James Conner in the backfield. That is... I think the biggest loss, if you're talking about assistance, Pittsburgh is a team that they're always, they're never at the, you know, the top of the coastal standings, it seems like, but they're always in the mix and they're always a competitive team. I'm interested to see how they do this season, breaking in a quarterback in Max Brown, who's very talented, hasn't had a lot of experience after being benched at USC. 
so yeah, I, I'm curious to see how Pittsburgh responds because the defense has not been what they expected it to be when Pat Narduzzi took over. And Matt Canada obviously did wonders with that team last year. Pittsburgh, I've got my eye on Pittsburgh. I, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to contend with the other uh, top teams in that Coastal. Yeah, I think you guys both in agreement there. We've talked on the last couple of podcasts about Pittsburgh and how we're a little bit concerned about the prospects of them moving forward this year just because not only they're losing Peterman, they're losing James Conner. They still have Quadri Allison, who was really good as a freshman. Uh, in the backfield, they got Quadri Henderson at receiver, who kind of turned into Mr. Everything on offense for them. But they're losing so much talent there. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do now moving forward. Um, switching gears a little bit here, Hugh Freeze was just recently let go from Ole Miss. Obviously, we know the situation with the with the phone calls to the escort service, and that's been talked about ad nauseum at this point. But, you know, it's, there's been no shortage of issues with Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. Um, you talked about the Laramie Tunsil situation and, you know, prospects of recruiting violations and all the issues that they've had at Ole Miss. Do you see any impact, and this is kind of a two-parter to be honest with you, do you see any impact of the Hugh Freeze discipline maybe impacting a team like North Carolina and their discipline? Do you see kind of a broader brush being painted over, you know, what this means now for Hugh Freeze and his firing and the implications for Ole Miss on the rest of the ACC? Well, if you're asking me to try and predict what the NCAA is going to do, I can't answer that for you because that, I mean, they, anybody's guess they're, they're a directionless organization. So to try and predict how the NCAA is going to respond in one case compared to another, it's impossible. They, they've they've had such a uneven track record of handling cases like this. And then furthermore, these are two really entirely different cases. You're talking about academic fraud allegations at UNC over really a 15 to 20 year period of time. And I can't even keep up with what the notice of allegations are at this point for North Carolina. But uh, for Ole Miss, really a totally different situation dealing with illegal benefits for recruits and uh, institutional control, which I'm not sure that UNC has been tagged with yet, but I know that that's part of what uh, Hugh Freeze was under investigation for. So I'm not going to draw any parallels between the two. Uh, I think they're two entirely different cases. And if you followed that UNC case at all, you know that it's impossible to predict when exactly that ruling is going to come down, what it's going to look like, who it's going to affect. Uh, that, that battle could, could go on for a long time and drag out into the legal system, which is what the university is trying to make uh, happen. Uh, well, we've already got a good head start on taking a long time. That's, yeah. that's been going on for years by now. Um, so something I, I alluded to earlier, Josh, was the fact that I think that there was general agreement, and I'd never really thought I would see it in all of my days as, as a wise old 26-year-old, but um, I never thought I would see a day where people were kind of agreeing that the ACC was the best conference in the country in terms of football. And yet last year, there seemed to be a, a strong contingent that felt that way. But again, with the, you know, bit of an exodus of both player and coaching talent here going into 2017, do you see the ACC still being considered the top conference in the country, especially if you start talking about, you know, potential changes in styles and emphasis, you know, offense transitioning, you know, more towards a defensive focused league, et cetera? Yeah, so everybody wants to answer this question right now. And, and at the very top, I think that the ACC has a case to be the best. I, I think it's better at the top than the SEC is this season. Top to bottom, the ACC still isn't there with the likes of the SEC. Um, to me, the ACC reminds me a lot of the Big Ten, where you've got a very strong division in the Big Ten East that has Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Penn State, 
and then similar to the Atlantic Division in the ACC, which has Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville. The other division has some good teams, not great teams. It just reminds me a lot of the Big Ten, and nobody's talking about the Big Ten being the best conference in college football, but to me they seem almost identical in a lot of ways. So I think it's great that the ACC feels this confidence. I mean, you look, this is a, a league that went 2-13 and 13 in Big Six or, or BCS bowl games for from 1999 until 2012 or whatever it was. So for them to be able to say, hey, we have a Heisman winner, we have a national champion, I think that they obviously – are going to pump their chests out a little bit. And, and you saw that when I was at ACC kickoff a few weeks ago, and that was the conversation. And I think the ACC is battling the perception. I think that you're seeing a little bit of an overcorrection almost to that decade of inferiority that the ACC had, where it was hashtag go ACC on Twitter every weekend. It was all of these mistakes and everything that, that, you know, the ACC was a la- almost the laughing stock of the power five. So they're going to take any chance they can get to try and brag about themselves I don't really see any difference between the ACC and the Big Ten right now. Whether or not that makes them the best league, I don't know. I think that the real, the key for the ACC is getting that fourth and fifth and sixth teams to step up. Is it going to be Miami? Is it going to be Virginia Tech? North Carolina? I don't know. They just they need that middle tier, I think, to step up. And, and really the bottom tier as well. Although, if you're trying to judge who the best league is based on the four or five worst teams in the league, I mean, who really cares? I know the SEC likes to prop themselves up because of that, but... Uh, you really, if, if you have a top seven or eight that's strong and, and is a top 25 caliber program, I think that's what matters. The ACC's not quite there, but uh, at the very top, they're strong. Yeah. The SEC will never let you forget how good they are. Uh, always remember that. Well, like, but... it's it, okay, great. Like, Vanderbilt's good. Like, okay, they're, they're five and seven. Like, I just, the SEC is, it is such a tough league top to bottom. I get it. But don't tell me that they're because Missouri has a couple NFL D linemen means that they're tougher than Wake Forest. Like they're really not. Like I, I don't know. It's just it's frustrating that that's that's what the SEC fans a lot of them will try and use to to prove that they're the best league. It doesn't matter. So you kind of answered this, um, but I'll get into it kind of explicitly. Mm-hmm. Offensively in the Coastal Division, we got really one and a half quarterbacks remaining right we have Daniel Jones at Duke we have whatever the situation is at UVA it's Kurt Benkert for now but who really knows I guess for the conference as a whole offensively we we have so many unknown quantities especially at the quarterback position and do you think that that specifically impacts the ACC and their standing as far as you know, their place among the rest of the conferences in the country heading into 2017? Or do you think it's a situation where, hey, the defenses are going to be so good across the conference that, you know, they can still be considered one of the best conferences in the country, even though the offenses might be taking a step back? That's a really good question, because to go back to the ACC or the SEC analogy, rather, several years ago, when the SEC couldn't top 17 points in a game, it was look how great the defenses are. Nobody really wanted to point to how inept they were on offense. But then I forget, I think it was like 2012 or 2013, the SEC was loaded with quarterbacks. So it's very cyclical, conference by conference. And I don't know that the defenses are going to carry this conference. I think that you're going to see teams like NC State's going to be a good offensive team with Ryan Finley at quarterback. I don't think that they're going to be as good as people expect, but I do think they're on offense are going to be competitive. Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente is going to be a good offense, whoever they figure out at quarterback at that spot. Uh, Miami's got a ton of talent. There's still plenty of talent. Yes, is there some uncertainty at quarterback? Sure, but 
I think that on the whole, I don't think this is going to be a defensive league, if that's what you're alluding to. I, I, I still think you're going to see, obviously, Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville loaded offenses. NC State will have a great offense. Syracuse, is, is they're going to score points. They did it last year. Who knows if they're going to stop anybody again. But Dino Babers is going to score 40, 50 points in a lot of games. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a very exciting offensively oriented league, which is what you've seen the, the ACC, I think, trend in that direction for the last several years. Josh, I think one of the things that gives me confidence that uh, we'll, we'll continue to see a really powerful ACC and that you know the, the 2016 season wasn't just like a fluke where there were a bunch of good teams is I feel like a lot of these programs have made some really good hires in recent years. And so I think you're going to see a lot of progress throughout the year. I think you'll, you'll kind of continue to see good recruiting within the conference. I mean, is that, is that a fair assessment that the hires made recently are going to really kind of impact the profile of the conference nationally? Yeah, I think you've seen that already start to take place. I mean, Syracuse, to go back to them, they made a home run hire getting a guy like Dino Babers. It's totally revitalized that program. Even, even in a year where I believe they only won four or five games, you see where that program is headed. Then you start talking about the bigger programs like Virginia Tech, like Miami. Um, if, you, if you look at the ACC, this is what I like to do when I compare the coaches – They've pretty much taken a lot of this, the, the SEC coaches or the coaches that, that succeeded or would have succeeded in the SEC. Bobby Petrino, great coach at Arkansas. We obviously know what happened with him, but now he's doing great things at Louisville. Tennessee has tried to hire David Cutcliffe twice away from Duke, and he said no. So they're able, you, the fact that Duke is able to hold on to a coach that a school like Tennessee wants, that says a lot. Justin Fuente would have been a great hire at a number of SEC schools over the last several years. And we'll continue to be on teams' radars as those jobs start to open up. Um, Jimbo Fisher has turned down LSU back-to-back years. These guys, these coaches are now realizing that uh, they can stay in the ACC and compete on a national level. And I think, to be quite honest, I think it goes back a little bit to our conversation about what the best league is. I do think it's a little bit of a testament to the weakness of the bottom half of the ACC. That, yes, the SEC has decent teams at the bottom, but in the ACC, you're going to have some games that if you're Florida State or Clemson, you're probably going to win. And while the money may or may not be quite what it is at a program like Texas A&M or you name any SEC program, if you're Jimbo Fisher or if you're Justin Fuente or Mark Richt, you can go play coach at these programs in the ACC and have a better chance to succeed with a little less pressure uh, that's why I think you're seeing a lot of these coaches start to trend towards the ACC while still being in a recruiting territory that allows you to pick from the guys that your traditional SEC powerhouses are able to recruit from. So Joey and I, we haven't officially made our picks in the Atlantic and the Coastal Division yet. We're kind of holding that off into a podcast further down the line, a little bit closer to the season. But since we have you on yeah. and – you're an ACC guy, right? So we want to talk to you a little bit about the Atlantic Division, Coastal Division, how you see them shaking out, a conference champion, and then maybe an early pick for player of the year in the ACC. Sure. Uh, I think it's going to be a, an interesting race in the Atlantic. I think that, first of all, I think Clemson's going to beat Florida State. I think that Clemson's going to go 11-1. and one. They're going to lose. You're going to laugh. I think they're going to lose in Blacksburg at the end of September. I think that that's going to be the, the win that puts Justin Fuente's program on the map. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I do think that Virginia Tech's going to give Clemson trouble. Nice that they're getting Clemson early in the season, so maybe there's some uncertainty at quarterback. I mean, they obviously – Clemson plays Auburn in week two, so they will hopefully have figured it out, but – 
I think that that road test for Clemson, that first road test really for, for that quarterback is going to uh, give the Virginia Tech a chance. So I think Clemson goes 11-1, and one, but they beat Florida State, so that gives them the tiebreaker. And I think Clemson wins the conference in a rematch with Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. So I think if Virginia Tech gets them, I think it's early. So I'm going Clemson and Virginia Tech. Player of the year, first of all, the best player in the conference is Derwin James. He's the best college football player in the country. And I know that unless you break down film on a week-to-week basis, you probably have no idea. I just got in an argument on Twitter today with a guy who says, well, he only has one career interception. Well, you don't watch football. Like, you don't understand all the impact that a guy has on the game, especially a defensive back. If you're just looking at a guy's especially interceptions, that that tells so little of the story of a guy. Uh, So Derwin James is the most NFL-ready safety that we have seen in college football since Ed Reed. And I think he's the best player in the conference. He's not going to win player of the year. That's probably going to be DeAndre Francois, Lamar Jackson, uh, Mark Walton maybe. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, Derwin James is the best player in the league. He's just not going to have the numbers to give him uh, enough consideration for player of the year. Yeah, player of the year certainly hates defensive candidates across the board, no matter what award you look at. Um, So, Josh, tell us a little bit about your new website. CFB country, college football country, cfbcountry.com. Yeah. Um, and talk to us a little bit about that and everything you got going. I know you just launched that website this week and you got a lot of great stuff on there already. So just tell our listeners where you can find you and uh, plug your site a little bit because I know there will be a lot of good stuff up there. Yeah, it's uh, cfbcountry.com, like you said. College Football Country is the name of the website. Uh, launched on Tuesday. Really excited about it. Uh, it's funny, actually. I used to, to blog back in the day. I was a writer. I had an ACC website for five years when I was in college. And then I left to join ESPN and had to shut the website down. And while I loved ESPN and would never exchange those four or five years for anything, I definitely miss being able to create my own content, have my own voice, and just have complete control over um, my career. So from that standpoint, I'm really excited for the website. It's going to be a lot of fun. Look, it's not going to break news. It's not going to be your go-to source for up-to-the-minute college football information. It's going to be informative, but it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. It's going to be opinionated. And I have a lot to say about college football. I think I have a unique perspective on the game. I'm going to try and just echo the voice, I think, of real college football fans. We're going to do a lot of fun stuff. We're going to have some ridiculous stuff. I'm really excited for our podcast to launch in the coming week. I think next Monday or Tuesday, the first episode will come out going to be with a college football soon-to-be Hall of Famer, so there's your tease. Um, But the guests on the podcast are going to be outstanding. I've already lined up a bunch. It's big-name guests, legendary players, legendary coaches, current coaches, current players, uh, all sorts of things. And it's going to be a fun conversation. What what you're getting at college football country, you won't be able to get anywhere else. It's not going to be your traditional college football coverage. I think we're going to have a unique uh, voice and that's why you're going to like it. It's going to be a lot of ACC coverage as well. So, yeah, uh, College Football Country, the podcast, you can find it on Apple or on Stitcher, cfbcountry.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Parcell. Uh, follow the uh, the website uh, at cfbcountry as well. So plenty of places to find it, and uh, hopefully you'll hear more about it in the coming weeks and months because uh, it's going to be a big year. Josh, I'm excited. The site looks awesome. I'm already subscribed to the podcast Thanks. on iTunes, as you said. You can find it everywhere. Um, go find it. And really, we just want to tell you, we, we appreciate you joining us. thought there was a lot of really good insight on here, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Well, always happy to talk ACC, so I'm glad you guys had me on, and uh, 
look forward to talking with you guys again soon. All right. Thanks, Josh. That sounds great. All right. That's Josh Parcell. As you said, at Josh Parcell on Twitter or CFBCountry.com, as well as the College Football Country podcast. Uh, Mike, we got a whole bunch more team previews we got coming down the pipe. Uh, you want to come back and do this again soon? Absolutely, buddy. All right. Until then, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Uh, woo. You can, uh, you can find us on Facebook, right, Mike? That you can. Facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all our podcasts there. Of course, in addition to a number of other places Joey just mentioned. That's right. Podcast is found on iTunes, on Google Play, SoundCloud, and uh, wherever else fine podcasts are sold. But in any case, until the next time, uh, Mike, this has been fun, but we'll talk again soon. Uh, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Josh Parcell, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you for listening. Go ACC. Go ACC.